Hey there, welcome to the Collide podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide. And this week we are on part two of the series I'm doing called Finding God with Your Kids. And so often we desire for our kids to have faith and we want to pass down our faith and we want them to know Jesus and love Jesus. And sometimes that can feel like such a daunting idea and we want to leave it for the professionals and the people who know what we're doing. But in this part, um, part one and this part two episode, I truly sit down and share from my heart the things I've learned over the last 20 years. And honestly, I felt like I could have made this a part 10. Maybe someday I will. But here is part two. If you haven't heard part want to encourage you to press pause, go back to last week's episode, take a listen, and then listen to this part two. And friend, before I hand this uh, this time off to you, I do want to encourage you to share this with a friend. There are so many moms out there who are hurting and worried and concerned for their kids. And if you feel like this might encourage them, share it with your friend. Uh, Sometimes it just takes reframing. Sometimes it takes just hearing a word from the Lord. Sometimes it just takes like one hopeful story that gives you hope for your own story. So go ahead and share this podcast with a buddy. I hope you can enter into what I have to say on part two of Finding God with Your Kids, and I hope you enjoy it. Number nine, kids are in process, and so are we. You know, I came to Jesus at 21 years old, stumbling on my knees at His feet, as broken as one could be. And I am not sure where along the way I began to believe that my kids will not have to do that. And that's one of the greatest things I've learned in the last few years of my, as my kids have approached young adult life is that my kids are, might have to stumble. They might have to fall. They might have to learn lessons. They might have to make great mistakes. They might have to do things that I don't want them to do. Our kids might have to walk roads we don't like, but how else might they realize that the truth we preach might actually be the truth. Our kids might have to test the boundaries and realize why boundaries protect them. Our kids might have to question everything we've told them we believe, but don't flip out. Like, keep your cool. Your kid is trying to figure out who they are and what they believe about God. And I had this experience when Aiden first moved to college where I was very worried about his choices, very concerned about what he was up to. I was fretting and so deeply concerned. And one of my best friends said to me, Willow, he's just trying it on to see if it fits. It won't fit. He's just trying it on. But he has to see for himself. And indeed, about 18 months later, some of the things that I was worried about that he was trying on, he no longer tries on, and he's in a completely different place. And so we need to not flip out when our kids are trying to figure out who they are and what they believe because they are in process just like we 
were and we are. And they might have to come stumbling to Jesus, but guess what? He can handle their stumble, their mistakes, their learning lessons. It's how they experience grace. It's how they experience refining. It's how they experience His transformation in their life because they begin to see His power. They begin to see the God who grabs his hand and and reaches down in the miry pit and pulls them out of it. So don't flip out when you see your kids in process. Number 10, be a safe space for that process. So truly think about your word choices, your judgmentalism, and whether you are making your kid feel like they have to tell you what you want to hear about any and every subject, by the way. Inauthentic relationships will not foster healthy faith. It's impossible. They cannot. I remember when one of my kids as a teenager who hadn't uh, drank alcohol or smoked weed at all in high school came to me near the end of high school and had an actual sit-down conversation, I mean, how freaking mature, and said, I want to drink. Now, I could have flipped out. I could have been worried. I could have started quoting all the rules, but I realized right away that the entire way this kid was going about having a conversation, being real, coming to me and telling me what they wanted to do that they knew I didn't want them to do was extremely authentic. And I knew we were on sacred ground because how I responded would invite them to either share or not share with me again in the future. And I actually considered it a compliment to my parenting that they felt like they could come to me and tell me that they wanted to drink. And and it wasn't because they knew I was going to encourage them to do it or I was going to provide alcohol for them and their friends because I certainly would not do that. But what happened was because they were being so real and I was handling them being real, it also gave me an an opportunity gave me a platform to be real about, okay, well, let's look at drinking and let's talk about drinking with a 360 degree view. And I mean, we covered the gamut from um, the generational alcoholism and addiction in our family line to, to, you know, the crazy things that being drunk can make you do and all the things that come along with drinking. And that actually opened up future conversation around these kinds of topics. And so I'm just encouraging you to create a safe space for them to be authentic because authenticity will foster healthy faith. The 11th thing I want to talk about is always leave the door open. Sometimes Topics and subjects and differences of belief, differences in values, differences in lifestyle come up with us and our children. And sometimes I see parents close the door on their kid. If you're going to believe this, if you're going to do this, if you're going to choose this, and they close the door on close relationship. And I look at Luke 15 where Jesus talks about the, the prodigal son 
and the father, and you see a father who whose kid completely went out and squandered his his life, and and was wild living, and and spent all his his father's inheritance, and and was completely blowing it, and and the father could have easily closed the door. The father could have easily said, you're a disgrace. You didn't honor me. You used me. You went against the family, the family and the the family's belief system. He could have closed the door, but he doesn't close the door. You see in Luke 15, Jesus says, the father waited on the hill. And you get this sense that the father left his door open. So the son would know that the son can always come home, that there's always opportunity for the son to come back home. And I think because the son knew when the son was in pig slop and his life was was terrible and and he had no more money and he had no more friends and, and all he had was shame all over him. There must have been something he'd experienced all those years being raised by that father that told him that father has the character That even in my darkest day, in my most shameful hour, I wonder if he will have the door open waiting for me. And he was right. He turned around to come back to the father with his I'm unworthy speech. And there was the father. And as soon as the father saw the son, the father went out and embraced the son, hugged the son with pig slop all over him and and threw a party for him. I'm sure you know the story. So my encouragement to you as a parent is to leave the door open, wait on the hill every single day, make sure they know your door is always open all the time. You are available to talk. You are here for them. There's nothing that's going to separate you from your love for them. There's nothing that's going to break disconnection. There's nothing that's going to keep you from, from always being close no matter what. Help them to know they can always come to you, regardless of what pig slop is all over them. And the twelfth thing is shift. I did a podcast interview. If you don't know, uh, you can subscribe to this podcast. Y'all should. It'll come to your inbox every single Wednesday. But I did a podcast with Stephen Argue, who writes uh, books on faith, kids and faith and parenting. And honestly, it was probably one of my most favorite podcasts in the last year. And maybe just because it hit me in the season of life that I'm in. Um, but he talks about shifting. And then there's a point where our kids are students and we're teachers. Um, but then, you know, they become explorers and we become guides. And there's these different seasons of parenting. He has a whole list of them. And I realized I wasn't making the shift. There's a point when when your parent, your kids become teens and and you need to move from no longer just being a teacher and they're a student. But they become explorers, and then you move from being a teacher to being a guide. And I experienced so much conflict with one of my teenagers in the last few years 
because I kept thinking they were the ones that needed to change. And I was so frustrated because they weren't who I thought they'd be. They weren't doing what I wanted them to do. And I was waiting for them to change. And I realized I'm the one who needs to change. And when God said, Willow, you need to shift. You need to move away from being teacher and instead to being a guide. That changed everything for me. So my hope for you is that you would allow God to invite you into a new season of parenting. He's ushering you maybe into a new season. And I think you'll be surprised how much that changes your relationship with your kid and their relationship to God. So be willing to shift. The 13th thing I want to share with you is to share your redemption stories all the time all the time. Believe it or not, your kids will see the power of God's rescue and healing, not just by being told that it exists, but actually by seeing it in your own life. So we share our brokenness with our kids and how He's bringing about healing. We share our pain and how He's bringing about redemption. We share our past and how it looks so much different than our present and how our future will even look so much different than that. We share our mistakes. We share our learning lessons. We say, I'm sorry, and we see God showing up and revealing His redemption to our kids. In fact, when Aiden, I think, turned 13, because he kept asking me, I want to hear more of your story. I want to hear more of your story. And I grew up being pretty probably TMI in our household, sharing my pain, my brokenness, my very wounded childhood and how it's impacted me, um, my constant battle with with the wounds that I live with from that and my need for healing. But there were some things that he just wasn't ready to know or to hear. And I told him that I will tell him anything he wants to know when he turned 13. That might not be a decision you feel comfortable with, but for me, I did. And I took Aiden to Seattle. We went on an overnight trip. We went out to dinner. We went to um, a show at a theater, a comedy show. And then we got a nice hotel and went out for dessert. And the entire drive from Bellingham to Seattle, I he was like, got in the car. And the first thing he said is, okay, tell me the whole thing. <laughs> Just so cute. And I did. I told him my whole story. And it's not PG-13. And I didn't go into gross details about things, but I told him about things that happened to me as a little kid. I told him about abuse and neglect. I told him about mistakes I made and things I'm ashamed of. And I told him all of that. And then I told him about the power and the rescue and the healing and the redemption. 
of what Jesus has done in my life and how he met that girl in all of her pain. And he's he's bringing about newness and wholeness and goodness and even using it to help other people. And it was like all of a sudden, God's power and, and rescue and healing uh made sense to him. He he could see it. And even since then, I mean, he's 20 now. He looks back on things that, and, and while he's experiencing things and experiencing people and experiencing life, he'll hang his hat on things he's seen God do in my life. I think sometimes we're so afraid to to be real with our kids or let them into our story or or share about our past mistakes, but I actually think that that they shine God's glory. They they shine what God is capable of doing. They shine that he can step into even their greatest mistakes and their greatest mess. He can step into their feelings of insecurity and insignificance. He can step into their wounds that they've experienced, and he can do amazing things. So the work of Jesus, at least as I've experienced it in my parenting is not in my perfection with my kids, but it's actually in my imperfection. That is what has impacted my kids most. Most of us desire to do amazing things with our lives, but we often doubt that we can. We let our weaknesses boss around our strengths and our insecurities drown out our gifting. But what if God could use exactly what we've got to pull off something big? Our book titled Yes You is a beautifully designed, full-color, 12-part Bible study where we center around the passage in John 6 where Jesus fed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. As you engage scripture, read personal stories, and reflect on questions that invite you to new places, you'll be challenged, encouraged, and inspired. We can't wait for you to dive into this study, so go to wecollide.net slash store to get your copy of Yes You now. The last thing I want to share with you today is enter into your kids' hardship and invite them to trust the story that God is writing in their lives. We all have hard chapters. We all do. My daughter had a hard chapter about two years ago. She's been a gymnast her whole life, just a gym rat. Spent five, six days a week for, you know, four hours a time in the gym. Gymnastics was her life. It was her passion. It was her fitness. It was her community. It was where all her friends were. In fact, she was there so much that she didn't make friends um, a ton at school because she couldn't do school sports, extracurricular sports. She Her whole life was at the gym. And then she faced an injury that in one day pulled her out of the gym. No more community. No more friendships with coaches and and other kids there. No more fitness, no more competition, no more passion, no more ability to do the thing that she's been trained to do. And her identity was rocked. And it was a an extremely difficult season. And the entire time, I kept trying to point Bella to the bigger story, that it's true. This chapter is so very, very hard, 
but there must be something that's going to come out of this. There must be a bigger story. There must be something meant to be. I wonder what God will do. We just kept having those kind of conversations. What does it look like for us to trust that something good can come out of something so hard, something so wrecked? And there were days where it didn't feel like we could see that chapter. But I have to tell you that last year, very randomly, Bella was hanging out with some friends who were cheerleaders at her high school. They invited her to try out for cheerleading for her senior year in high school. She never pictured being a cheerleader in her life. She was a a gymnast and not interested in cheerleading. And so she she tried out. She made the team. It was something she could do with her injury issues because it wasn't as hardcore as the gymnastics she'd been in. And then a local gym invited her to join their most elite team last winter. And this team competes nationally and wins tons of um, championships. And she entered that team. And it was so life-changing for her that in the most roundabout way, she ended up in the recruitment process at Oregon State University for cheerleading. And we show up at this recruitment, and there's 200 people there trying out. And Rob and I got to sit in the upper level of the Coliseum and watch the tryouts. And and we watched Bella, and we thought, oh, there's no way. The girl hasn't been cheering for for even a year. There's no way they're they're going to pick her. There's no way they're going to notice her out of 200 people. And she doesn't have, you know, this long resume of experience in cheer. Um she hadn't been to all the other recruitments. Some of these girls had been, you know, with going to OSU and trying to show their face at OSU for years to get a look. And Bella had just hopped in to the scene. She is new to actual cheer. So, you know, having to do dances and do all these things was completely new to her. And we just thought there's just no way out of all the people. And they only take a couple of freshmen. Well, we had visited OSU before the recruitment and it and every time we went there, it felt so right. It felt exactly like the place Bella was supposed to be. But when we showed up that weekend for the recruitment, we we were sure that this was the biggest long shot in the world for her. But we decided to walk around campus because we wanted to discern with her whether or not this school was from the Lord for Bella. And so we did that. Me and Rob and Bella walked around and literally said, we're going to look for God for the next hour. We're going to walk around and we're going to explore buildings and we're going to talk to people and we're going to ask God, God, is this where you want Bella to be? Regardless of cheer, regardless of of how that turns out, is this where you want her to go? You have her future in the palm of your hands. You are writing a story. You know where she's meant to be. We trust your, your sovereign plan. We trust that you're divine. We trust that you'll meet us here. And there were so many things that happened on that walk that I don't have time to go into 
But one of the things that happened is that we were lost. And we were kind of lost. We didn't know if we should go right or left or straight. And so, you know, Rob was like recalibrating his map because it needed to be recalibrated. And this lady could tell we're lost. And, and she looked at us and said, are you lost? Would you like some help? And we're like, oh, yeah, we're lost. We're looking for this building. And, and as we get instructions on where to go from her, she starts asking us questions, you know, what are you here for? And we're like, we're here because she's considering going to this school. She wants to go into kinesiology. And this woman says, well, I'm, I work in the kinesiology department. I'm a professor for, um, I think she said freshmen and also help people get internships. And it was this moment where, you know, then she started pouring into Bella and saying, oh, you were a gymnast. You could get a job here teaching kids gymnastics. Go check this out. Go check that out. Like all of a sudden there's just all these connections. And it felt like my kid got to see God show up in this discernment process. And over and over and over again, as we turned another corner and another corner and ran into this person, this person, this person, God was unfolding, this is your new home. This is the next chapter. Long story short, Bella got uh, a call from the coach, actually a message saying, can you get on the phone um, on Thursday at 3 p.m.? He was making a decision on the final two people he was going to invite onto the team, and he wanted to talk to her on the phone. And so I left work to try to be there for her in case she needed any coaching. Who am I? And um, I called her, and I said, is your phone charged? As I'm driving there from work, I called her, is your phone charged? Are you ready to have the conversation? What are you worried about? And, you know, she just said, I don't know, like, it's a lot, like, going to a new college and doing cheer. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, should I take this? And I said, well, Bella, you don't have to take this. If they offer it to you, you don't have to take it. But I said, my prayer has been this last week because there's so many people that want it. My prayer has been that if God wants this for you, he'll just knock this girl all the way and this girl all the way and this girl all the way and this girl all the way. Now, I don't mean knock them out. I just mean maybe they'll go to another school. They'll choose something else. They'll, they'll choose UW. They'll choose University of Oregon. That God would just make a way for you if it's his will. And I said, if that's, if that's what you want to pray alongside me, you can. Well, I get home, and he has a conversation with her and basically tells her that they're only taking two freshmen, and he's trying to decide between her and two other girls. And I thought that was so interesting considering what my prayer had been. Long story short, Bella was in Florida competing for the Nationals competition and and had just, like, uh, done well in day one. They were going to go to day two for, for the finals. And the minute after she found that out, the coach called and told her that he chose her for the team. Now, this is crazy. This is D1 cheerleading. This is, like, in a stadium of 36,000 people. Like, this kid has not been a cheerleader her entire life. And when I got home 
when she got home and and we talked about it, she had just said, and and I remember this because we talked about it the night that that coach called. She had said if before she got offered it, I should say. So before she got the call that she she got it the night that she had talked to the coach and he said he was deciding between her and three people. She said, Mom, I just feel like that year that was the hardest year of my life that I've experienced so far. I feel like if God literally took me and plucked me out of that kind of hardship and said, hey, I got you, and I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind, and I'm going to give you this unique and rare opportunity that that you would never imagine. I just feel like I should take it, that it's meant to be. And why I share that with you is I think that entire season of time when she was down and out, when she was injured, when she had lost her community and and her sense of identity was being rocked, the entire time that I entered that hardship with her, I kept trying to point her to the whole story that God was writing. And then even this hard chapter that that he was still writing a story, that there was still hope, there was still something that, that he was doing, there was still something that was meant to be. So it was so, so very very cool to see that God truly, he, he used that time and, and showed how he can pull you out of the mire and, and give you beyond what you can imagine. And I just got my first experience and I'm, I'm down here again. And my daughter is cheering for massive amounts of people. She's doing gymnastics across the field. They, they um, are giving her so many opportunities. She's having the time of her life. She's seeing that that God is writing a story and even using the hard chapters. So friend, I friends, I could talk to you all day about how to find God with your kids. Um, maybe someday I'll get to write a whole book about it. That would be fun. Uh, but for now, I pray that when you find your kids, you find God because he's right there with them. Hey friend, I feel like I could talk to you forever about finding God with our kids. I don't know about you, but my deepest joys in life have been journeying along my children and truly experiencing watching God show up in their lives has blessed me immensely. And I hope I have many, many years to be able to find God with Aiden and Bella. And I know you probably long for the same thing. I hope you feel encouraged and inspired. I would love to hear your stories if you ever want to write in and share your stories of ways that you're experiencing Jesus Collide with you and your family. Email us at info at wecollide.net. We'd love to hear your stories. If you want to encourage other women, pass this on. Subscribe to this if, if you want our podcast in your inbox every single week. We can make sure that happens for you. We hope you keep colliding and experiencing the love of Jesus. We'll catch you next week.